Today is May 3rd, 2020. Welcome to Common Ground. The sermon series we are in is called Easter Hope, the Resurrection of All Things. This sermon is called Cultural Resurrection, and the speaker is Carrie Connolly. Enjoy. So the scripture for today is Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The Lord's power came, overcame me. And while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led uh, me through them all around. And I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor. And they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. God said to me, prophecy over, over these, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I'm about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews in you, place flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. The Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from them, come from the four winds breath. Breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as God commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. God said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I am opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you into Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant on your fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, today we have Carrie Connolly with us. Uh, Carrie is first a friend um, to me, someone who I look up to, uh, someone whose voice I'm listening to, and uh, someone whose life work I'm paying attention to. Uh, Carrie was at our launch in, uh, in early June of um, 2019, Pentecost Sunday. She's been a supporter of Common Ground from afar. She and I are in some of the same networks, uh, progressive Christian networks, um, and uh, there's a lot that could be said about Carrie, uh, uh, pastor, author, mystic, um, 
advocate, tr uh, educator, so on and so forth, mother, wife, etc. Um, but I'm really, really grateful to have her today as we talk um, in Easter Tide, the Easter Tide season leading up to Pentecost. As you look at this liturgical calendar, uh, we are going to be talking about resurrection all the way up into June. Um, we talked for a couple weeks about personal, kind of individual resurrection. Then we've shifted to structural, kind of institutional resurrection. And that's where we find ourselves here now. Uh, so Carrie's going to bring the word for us today. Uh, common ground, if everybody could just give a quick wave or snap or whatever you do silently to welcome her. Uh, and Carrie, thank you so much for being with us and taking the time and uh, take it away. Hey, Chris, thank you so much, everybody. It's I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm coming to you from my home in New Jersey, where I have been holed up, I'm sure, as long as all of you. Yes, so these are really strange times, as I'm sure you know. You've probably said it, I've said it. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right in, because the prophet Ezekiel uh, was probably living in some pretty strange times uh, himself. Now, I always want to give a little bit of context around scripture, especially one that's as weird as this one. Most scripture is weird, but I want to really, this one's pretty weird. So first of all, Ezekiel was a priest without a temple. He, the city of Jerusalem, his beloved city, had been besieged and destroyed. His place of work was gone. The temple was burned down to the ground, and Israel's monarchy was defunct, right? So in other words, all of the systems that gave Ezekiel his identity were gone, and Ezekiel the priest was living in exile. He was out of a job that had not only defined his role in society, but that had also given structure to his daily comings and goings, to the rhythms of his seasons and the big yearly holidays and celebrations. In other words, all of the things that make life life had been stripped away from Ezekiel and also for the people that he spoke to. So they were left to stare at the proverbial uh, walls of their Babylonian apartments and wonder when was life ever going to get back to normal and what would that look like when it happened. Now, the entire book of Ezekiel is made up of Ezekiel's prophecies, which were probably collected and then written down later by his followers, and they're basically separated into two different parts. The first part is this part where basically Ezekiel is sitting there telling the Israelites, hey, this is all your fault. It's your bad behavior, which was essentially idolatry, and that's the reason everything went to hell in a handbasket, as my grandmother used to always like to say. And then the second part consists of where God shows up and saves the day and, and is offering hope to the exiled Israelites. And that's the part that our story comes in, is where Ezekiel is telling the Israelites what's possible for them. He is painting a picture, and what's possible, according to Ezekiel, is resurrection, resuscitation, and restoration. So let's go ahead and dig in and find out how this really weird ancient scripture might have relevance to us today. But I want to say something really, really important before I say I start that, because if you run in any of the same circles that I have, it's possible that you've heard some people saying some stuff along the lines of, the coronavirus is part of God's plan. And this plan could run the gamut from because God just wants to get our attention to something pretty vile and evil, like because God hates us for blank, insert sin here. Now, I understand the desire to believe that God is in control of every little detail and that all the comings and goings and machinations of this virus are somehow divinely orchestrated. It feels somehow 
I don't know, safer to think that maybe there's some old guy in the sky in charge and running things, right? I get it. I get that. But in truth, I think this is a pretty dysfunctional and dangerous theology because, frankly, it's not all that comforting. And secondly, it kind of makes God out to be a jerk, right? I mean, like, so thousands of people need to die in order for God's plan to work out. Thousands more have to lose jobs and decimate savings and go hungry and struggle to pay rent and mortgages and lose everything that means anything to us. Also, God's ego can stay intact. I, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but that sounds like not the kind of God that I want to hang out with. It doesn't sit right with me. And I mean, if God is love and that defines our relationship with love, then God sounds pretty dysfunctional as if God needs some good therapy. I don't know. It's just me. I have a recommendation I can send God to. The good news is though, however, and there is good news. There is good news is that there are other theologies. There are other ways, and it's like a breath of fresh air to think about God and to think about this scripture and the coronavirus and all the things, okay? Process theology offers us a way to think about this in a way that I really kind of like. Now, it might be a little weird. That's okay. Process theology is a paradigm that says that God's not actually in control of every little detail. Now, I'm not sure how it works exactly. I don't know if it's a God saying, I can't or I won't kind of thing, but stick with me because I think it might not matter. And I think we can work with this. Okay. So maybe you tell me, we'll talk about it in the talk back. What process offers us is, is it says that God is always offering two things, God's holy presence and an invitation. It says that in any given situation, God is sending out a holy Lord, this calling that will lead us all to our best and highest good, the best and highest good for us and for everyone else. And so we can respond accordingly or not. And then right then, in that moment, God is going to meet us right there, right in the circumstance that was created by our decision to act or not. And in that situation that we find ourselves, God will be there. And because we don't live alone on this earth, because we live and move and have our being in the context of community, our actions impact others and the actions of others impact us. We are all interconnected. And so sometimes our circumstances actually have nothing to do with our decisions. Sometimes whole people groups are exiled by governments. Identities are oppressed by systems of dominance because of race or gender or sexual orientation. Right? Sometimes viruses keep us stuck at home. Sometimes societal systems like justice and healthcare and education fail miserably. Sometimes fools sit on thrones. Process theology tells us that even in these times, God is with us and that God is offering us the invitation. So now what I find really fascinating is that in the story in Ezekiel, God is offering an invitation. God says, mortal, can these bones live? Mortal, can these bones live? And then God invites Ezekiel to participate in the resurrection, in the resuscitation, and in the restoration of these dry, dry bones. Now, let's talk about the dry bones for a minute, because this, this is a really important concept to understand. In the original Hebrew, when it speaks of these bones, it speaks to the fact that they weren't just bones, but they were dry bones. They were so dry. They were devoid of any semblance of life or humanity. So dry that not even a dog would bother to stop and sniff them. This speaks to the hopelessness, to the utter despair of the people of Israel. They were in an irreparable condition. And God said, mortal, can these bones live? 
And they were not, the bones were not just of one person, but they were of an entire people. This speaks not to individual, but to the corporate body, to community, to systems and society. In other words, something about the culture of these bones was dead. And God was asking if that society could live again. And the fact that they were not buried, but that they were scattered about the field, that speaks of desecration. The ancient practices demanded that an honorable burial happened immediately, but in war, your enemies could scatter your bones as a sign of your utter destruction. So something immoral and cruel and inhumane and death-dealing had happened on that field, in that valley, to those people. And God still said, mortal, can these bones live? So there are a few things that I've noticed happening during this pandemic. The first is that a lot of people that I've been speaking with have told me that they're kind of taking this time to plan a pivot in their lives. They are realizing that they have been consumed with the systems in which their identities have been tied up for so long, of having to survive this rat race that seems to dangle a carrot of wealth and prosperity in front of us. But then at times like this, all of a sudden, we realize that no matter how hard we labored for our bosses, we're suddenly very dispensable. Systems of dominance tend to make think of people as disposable. Have you noticed that? It's as if collectively we are awakening to the fact that our divine created purpose is not to labor to line the pockets of the obscenely wealthy few, but rather to love justice, to do mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So what I mean is that individually and collectively, we are awakening to the fact that maybe we have been participating in an illusion and it's time to snap out of it, to start looking at these systems that have been giving us these identities that we have believed in and to realize that these identities are actually very false, that we are not defined by our job, that Maybe we are beginning to realize, I'm hopeful that we are beginning to realize that the color of our skin has nothing to do with our inherent worth or value, but that the systems have told us otherwise. We are realizing that the divine feminine has been cut off, and this not only oppresses women, but it harms and disfigures the souls of men. We are realizing that systems that are created to serve humanity have in fact oppressed it, and we are no longer willing to let this happen on our watch. This is what people are telling me as I'm talking to them, that there is a great awakening happening. There is resurrection all around. This is a time of stripping away, not for punishment, but for revelation, so that our true gifts, our true callings can be revealed, and we can begin to lean into the true divinity of our purpose as human beings, as created children of God on this earth. Mortal, can these bones live? Another thing that's being revealed is that systems of dominance are failing systems. We are seeing more than ever with clear eyes the inequities that marginalize people, those who have been living in exile right among us, who ride subway trains with us and walk city streets with us and work with us. We're seeing what they face every single day. When the elderly are forced to die alone, when it's clear that women will face economic fallout far longer and more harshly than men will, when black bodies are disproportionately dying because their illness is thought to be their own fault somehow, as if that makes sense, when prison populations are decimated by the virus and when refugees who are locked in cages and are being refused basic necessities during, for life and safety during a pandemic, when trans people are refused medical treatment of COVID-19, 
just because they're trans. These are the decisions that we are making collectively. These are our corporate response to God's holy lore. And I cannot imagine that these are the choices that are for the best and highest good of all. But still, at every moment, there is an invitation. Mortal, can these bones live? God says to us, prophesy. Prophesy over these dry, dry bones. Participate with me. Recreate with me. Speak truth to these bones. Speak life over this corporate body of people who have lost all semblance of life. Bring those scattered, exiled bones back together. Speak sinew and muscle onto them. Speak flesh onto them. Speak a covering of beautiful skin of every shade back onto them. Make these bones live. So what's the invitation to us today? What is the holy lore, the invitation that God speaks to us? Where are the bones that God is offering us and what will we prophesy to them? I have two thoughts on this as I begin to wrap up quickly. First of all, this whole story from Ezekiel, it's utterly absurd, excuse me, the idea that a field of dry bones can be resurrected, it's crazy, it's crazy. And that's what God calls us to. God calls us to look at the absurd and to consider it possible. Because, honey, if we don't start deciding that it's possible, the words of faith and belief and prophecy and truth are never going to leave our mouths. We will stay silent. And that, my friends, makes us complicit in every system of dominance that scatters the bones of the exiles all around, leaving them to disintegrate into dust. We have to be willing to embrace the absurd and prophesy. It may feel absurd to think that you and I, yeah, little old us, that we can prophesy to the dried up bones of systems of dominance and recreate them into something new. Systems like whiteness and racism, systems like patriarchy, heteronormativity, capitalistic systems of obscene wealth inequity, healthcare that puts profits over people, a justice system that is inherently unjust, education accessible only to a select few. These are the systems that seem impossible to deconstruct, to break down, to fix, especially when you're just one person. But here's the thing that we learn from our story. One person deciding to partner and participate and prophesy with God raises up a whole army. That is the power of our participation with God when we care about justice, when we do mercy, when we worry about bodies and care about life. Second, and, and my final thought before I have another video to show you, is that this process happens in three parts. The first is the work of resurrection. That's the mechanics of it. That's the putting on of muscle and bone. It's the addressing the structure. It's the nitty gritty. It's the rebuilding. This is the place where we get our hands dirty with embodiment. It's the place of action. It's voting. It's changing laws. It's feeding bellies and holding power accountable. It's affirmative action. It's white people doing the work to deconstruct our internal biases, and it's men giving up platforms to let women and the LGBTQ community have the mic. That's the work of resurrection. But that alone is not enough. After resurrection work, there must be breath. Without breath, 
A body is just a corpse. Breath is the spirit of God. You'll notice in the story, the putting on the of the flesh back on the bones was not enough to bring them back to life. For life, we need the breath of God. We have to infuse this resurrection work with the Holy Spirit of God and the divine power of our own souls, because that's what makes, makes this possible. This is soul work, righting these wrongs and seeking justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God is the work of our soul. We cannot do it apart from Holy Spirit because it, because it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And God promises us her participation and her presence and her very breath of life is in that invitation when we answer. And finally, finally, that final stage is restoration. That's that place where the fullness of humanity is restored. When, when humanity is restored back from those systems of dominance that have stolen it from us, holistically and completely, and justice reigns. Until that time, my friends, we have a lot of work to do.